Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Talking in circles. I am Clayton Caldwell. John Harlow from SpeedwayMedia.com will join me in a little bit of a special edition of Talking in Circles. Boy, what crazy announcements, interesting announcements NASCAR made this evening. And if you've been buried under a rock, I, you know, go read the, the changes because there's been a lot of them. There's a lot to take in here, John Harlow. Um, man, first of all, there's changes to how we go about the race, changes to how we, uh, really sort of how we crown our champion. You know, obviously they're not changing 16 cars going into the, into the chase, and they're not changing the, the, the rounds of the chase, but the fact that bonus points will carry on throughout the entire chase is very interesting. We'll get into that. Um, also, the dual races will now have points attached to that. Also, a little bit of a, of a, of a modification to a rule that NASCAR will no longer let you put whole body pieces on race cars. I think that's more towards the owners, and we'll discuss that way later in the program. But a lot to take in, John Harlow, a lot of changes. Again, we'll we'll talk about it as the show goes on about all the changes, but really, I think everybody pretty much, if you're listening to this show, knows the gist of these changes. John Harlow, what do you think about these changes that NASCAR made? Uh, what do you like and what don't you like? Well, part of me... Uh, thinks about, I, I get a kick. They're talking racing enhancements. And every time I think of enhancement, I think of Mark Martin in the Viagra number six because it sounds like we're giving everybody a shot of Viagra to get them going for the races. Um, I'm a firm believer that certain things should stay the same. Um, I don't mind the experiment with some of the races. I don't think it should be that way with all of them. The Daytona 500 is a 500-mile race not three sections of 500 miles where you're going to run for 125, run for 125, and you're going to run for 250. The Southern 500 shouldn't change. Um, The built-in drama or the homemade drama that they're putting into these things, um, I think it's a little much. I mean, I think it basically shows that NASCAR is really, really finally waking up, and they're scared that their product isn't good enough. And they're going to create their own drama. I mean, you saw the double file restarts. One of the things that I listen, whenever you and I have talked on this show many a times, the debris caution where nobody can find the debris because somebody's got an 8, 10-second lead. And they mm-hmm. bunch the field up again because that's where most of the passing takes place is on the restarts. So you have three built-in restarts now. Agreed. And I think NASCAR and likes to that, And to me, it just and- isn't racing. It it certainly has changed the way now you have to approach NASCAR races. There's no doubt about it. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Here to a conversation on talking circles and how I mean that, John, is think about a guy like Jeff Gordon. Remember when Jeff Gordon was in, was in the tail end of his career, and a lot of people, including a lot of his fans, and this was evident to anybody who watched him race, he struggled on restarts, big time, and he was a much better driver on long green flag runs he could get through, even on Martinsville, tracks like that. Um, and that's where it's interesting because if you're not good on restarts, you better get good on restarts. That's where I have a problem with them, with this. I'm not big on throwing cautions. I like long green flag runs. And that's my biggest issue is the fact that we see caution flags. But I think Steve O'Donnell made an interesting point. He, made, he talked about it in, his, in the press conference. Basically came out and said that the TV contracts sort of went to NASCAR and said, hey, um, we want to kind of break up these races to where we get natural breaks. So that's where it all started. I think that's basically where it all started, where these TV contracts said, these TV companies, these TV networks with the TV contracts came out and said, we want natural breaks. And then NASCAR went to the drivers and the owners and everybody else and said, what do you think about that? The drivers sort of gave them this, well, if you're going to do natu- nat- natural breaks in there and throw caution flags, the only way that makes sense is if you put some kind of points to award the drivers, to, to award good finishes, to award running good. 
Um, because then we're, if not, we're just going to kind of hang out and do nothing because it doesn't make sense to go up there and tear up your race car. So from that standpoint, I think the driver sort of got it right. I would have been much more comfortable with this point format that we have now, and they spread it out through the entire race and not have these natural breaks in them. I, I think if we said, you know what, on la- we have the technology to do it now, John. We have the technology within, within these race cars to where it won't be hard to figure out who's running first, second, through, who's first through 10th in the top field if we say, you know what, even if it's green on lap 70, you guys are going to get those points. If it's green on lap 140, you guys are going to get those points. The top 10 will get those points. We have the technology to do that. I would have much rather seen that than them start stopping the races. The only reason why we're stopping the races in the middle of it is because of the TV. I think TV wanted natural breaks. Um, and and the, here's where they run a potential risk, John, too, where a lot of people aren't talking about. I think they're, they're running a potential risk of, of a lot of dead time, a lot of caution laps for the fan experience at the racetrack. Um, you know, we see this in NFL games. For example, you know, if you've been to an NFL game, I know you're a Patriots fan, and congratulations to your Patriots, by the way, for going to the Super Bowl. But, you know, when you're at a Patriots game or I'm at a Giants game, for example, there's a lot of standing around we see that when TV's on on, uh, on commercial, you know, they'll, they'll stand around, then they'll kick off, and then they'll stand around again and wait for TV to come back. NASCAR's running that same risk here because there's going to be a lot of green – they're going to go on commercial. The way I understand it is they're going to go on commercial break after the first segment of the race and after – then they're going to come back for pit stops and then they're going to go on commercial break again. And you're not going to miss anything during the commercial breaks, so they're just going to be running around the racetrack. Uh, to me, that runs a potential big risk. You know, if you're at Daytona International Speedway and you're sitting there and you're running under caution for 20 laps, how patient is the fan going to be at the racetrack? I think that's something, John Harlow, to keep in mind there. Well, one of the things, whenever you go to a, an NFL game or a Major League Baseball game, I mean, the brakes are built in. You have the kickoff. After the kickoff, before the offense comes out, they take the timeout. You have in-between quarters. You have injuries. You have change of possessions. So they have built-in big windows to throw commercial breaks in on football. Baseball, same thing, end of the inning, pitching changes, different things like that. But if you're a college, especially a college football game, when there's a break in the action, there's something going on in the stadium. You either have somebody running around shooting T-shirts into the crowd. You have the college bands playing to keep everybody going during the timeouts and everything. What are they going to do? Are they going to roll out Lady Antebellum on a flatbed during the caution and do a quick, we're going to do one song driving by the grandstand, and then we're going to pull them back in and we're going to go again? I mean, you're going to have to do something to keep the fan in the stands occupied, or there are going to be more empty bleachers because, they came to watch racing. They didn't come to watch everybody go around under caution. Now, the other thing, and this is curious on my part, if they're going to run around under caution, after they do the pit stops and TV goes into the break, then they're going to come back. They're going to interview the guy who won the first segment and his crew chief. Are these yellow flag laps counting? Because if they are, they're going to be a lot of pissed off fans. Because I don't want to watch him run around under caution. Right. And that's where it's interesting. And, and, you know, if they didn't count the green flag laps, it would make these races even longer. So I I believe they have to count them. Um, And I was told on Twitter that that is the case, uh, that the caution laps will count. But, you know, let's say Daytona. You run 10 laps under caution at Daytona for each – after each segment. You know, that's 20 laps under caution without the big wrecks, without all that kind of stuff. So you could be there a while. And remember, they're starting these races now. Daytona's not a big issue because they got lights. But a place like Martinsville, they're starting these races a little bit later next year. People forget that. But TV networks ask them to start these races a little bit later next year. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays into to effect. But you know, that's one kind of, of, of thing I, I, I thought about it. But let me, t- let me just say this, John. I love the fact that they have a little bit of incentive to run great through the races. And I, I made that clear earlier where if it was green – I would have been okay with it. I love that fact. Listen, a lot of the times, especially at Daytona, and I, you know this, and, and I hope some of the listeners, some of the listeners don't know this, but I, I'm going to tell you this. I go to Daytona every year. Uh, I've been down to Daytona, the 500, every year since 2008. 
And let me tell you, it can get, especially last year, there was parts of that race, in the, even the Xfinity race, there was parts of that race in the middle of it, you're going, oh, my gosh, this is, they need to figure out a way to spice this event up. Daytona's a great race, but, man, oh, man, this is just, in the middle of this, they kind of just run single file. They don't really do anything. They've done that with these plate races because there's, especially the plate races, because now they've gotten to a point where you sit there and you go, okay, let's see a guy like Landon Castle in that 34 car next year. Front Motorsports has proven they're very good on the, on the play tracks. You know, if he gets an extra five points by finishing fifth in both segments, that's huge. That is huge for that team to where they could stay in the top 30. They can improve their point standings. That's huge for them to run up there. And that, that kind of prevents, especially in the 500, because the season's so new and you're never going to know if points matter or not for everybody. Points don't matter for anybody. Or, or you don't know the points matter for everybody at Daytona because there's no winner yet. So, the 500, I think, will be very, very enhanced by having these there. Now, again, we're going to have small, we're going to have these caution flags, which I'm not in love with, and it's going to be interesting to see how they stagger them, John, because at Daytona, it's a 100-lap race. you got 40 laps of a fuel run, give or take a few. How are they going to stagger these? Are they going to do it 50 laps? You know, they run the danger of getting Daytona into a, fuel mileage race, and that's something I don't think anybody wants to see. So that's going to be interesting to see how, and it's going to change throughout the, 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 the year because Atlanta is a different track than Daytona. It's a different mile, different length. Bristol's different. So it's going to change throughout the whole uh, season. It's going to be interesting to see, John, how every racetrack, they, they stagger these cautions because, you know, pit crews, crew chiefs, and everybody's going to be going up there trying to figure out a way to get an advantage and get a little bit more track position than the guy in next to him. So what do you think about that, John, the possibility of, of how they're going to stagger these uh, built-in caution flags? If I'm a crew chief and I'm at the Daytona 500 this year, or say, for example, Pocono, or say, for example, a road course, I'm pitting the lap before we go under. Because, I mean, yeah, you get your top 10 points, which is a good thing, but at the end of the day, you still get the 45 for winning. I'm going for the win. And if I come out of the segment, I may go in 15th because I pitted right before the yellow flag came out, but I'm going to be the first one out, and I'm going to start from the pole in the second run. One of the things I'm looking at at Daytona, you remember the crap storm that was tandem qualifying or group qualifying? Yes, yes. You've got three chances to win at Daytona. There could be four cars running at the end of the 500 <laughs> because somebody's going to pile it up going for the lead on the first end of the first segment. Someone's going to pile it up going for the lead at the end of the second segment. You may go to the third segment to Daytona 500 with 15 cars left because okay. somebody's going to try to get those extra 10 points thinking that that's going to get them into the show. And it just is going to cause – I mean, you watch. It's going to cause a crap storm at the end of the month, and then they'll be back to the drawing board saying, oops, this isn't what we thought about. we got a big problem on our hands. 917-889-8280 to turn the conversation on Talking Circles. And to answer your first point, John, I believe Steve O'Donnell today, and I, I you know, I have to go back and, and really read the transcript word for word, but I believe Steve O'Donnell said that they're going to close the pit road – uh, before they throw the caution flag, sometime before that, so teams don't do what you just said. So they avoid doing that, which would make sense. Uh, like we saw with the caution clock in the truck series, where they kind of closed it about, I think, what, five minutes before uh, the caution clock went to prevent that. 917, again, 889-8280, Talking in Circles, special edition, talking about the format changes here across the board in all three series of NASCAR. Listen, if, if these drivers wreck at Daytona, John, so be it. I mean, these are the best drivers in the industry. Uh, that's what they coin themselves as. That's what a lot of people, myself included, a lot of people believe that they are. Um, so you know what? They have to figure out a way to race smart, and I think they could do that. And maybe Daytona, this Daytona 500 is going to be a little bit crazy, but as they get going and as they keep going, I think it'll they'll settle down a little bit and figure out a way to race smart because it's only one point. Now, the winner of each segment, and this is throughout the year, 
the winner of each segment will get one championship point to carry to carry on into the chase. So basically, if you win a segment and you make the chase, you get one point. If you win two segments throughout the year, you get two points and et cetera, and then you get the five extra points for actually winning a race. Um, and that's, that's where it's interesting to me because I think it makes drivers go for it a little bit more, and that's what I like about it. And Listen, they could have come in today and they could have screwed it up and said, we're just throwing caution flags, and heck with you, you know, we don't really care. We want to bunch up the field. But they've made it at least where you have a little bit more incentive to run hard. I like that, John. I do. 917-889-8280, as I mentioned earlier, talking in circles. You'll be on the air. Like this caller, what's your name where you call from? This is uh, good old Lee in Virginia. Hello, Lee. How are you? I'm good. Um, you know, uh, I want to talk about these changes. What do you got? I think it's a good idea. Uh, you know, I, I'm an old school fan. I, I like old school racing, but, you know, I don't think it's any secret these guys have been tanking these regular season races. This adds a lot more premium. This adds a lot more, um, you know, the regular season now, a race at Pocono in July means something now, where, you know, it didn't really mean anything last year. Um, and I think I think that's uh, great. I think the regular, I think the first couple of segments and these guys, they, listen, we used to have a halfway bonus. And, the, you know, racing to halfway and leading to halfway meant something for money, but Money doesn't mean anything to these guys now. These teams make so much money. You could put $10 million in there, and I'm not sure they'd risk risk it for a halfway bonus. I mean, you know, a million dollars now is the purse for an all-star race, and nobody seems to care about that. So I, I just – I think that the, the, they need to hit them where it hurts when they're when, to get them to race, and, and I think points is the way to do that, and bonus points is the way to do that. And they, they could have messed this up by not giving them through the first round, but – now that it goes through rounds two and three, I think that really, really will make things very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think the bonus points that carry from rounds one, two, and three through three, well, it will throw a, a big-time wrench into to plans. For example, Martin Tricks Jr., John, you know, he was a guy who really had a good season last year, a great season, was I think for anybody who watched the race – for for the majority of the regular season, was the top driver and the top team was furniture racing that 78 car. And a lot of people had a problem that they weren't there to compete for the championship at Homestead Miami Speedway because they, for 26 races, they were the top dog. And they had a few issues that cost them in the chase. And the regular season meant nothing when you got to Kansas and, and, and deeper in the chase. Now the regular season will help carry them to Homestead. I think that is a, a change that I really, really like. If you're good through the regular season, not only do you get carried to Homestead, but you get those 15 extra bonus points. If you're the regular season champion, you get 15 extra bonus points. If you finish second in the points, you get 10 extra bonus points. And this is all championship bonus points here. These are all championship points. So really you get a good head start going to the chase, going through the chase until you get to Homestead. I think it's very very interesting. I like that that they they put an emphasis on the entire year because this format before was very flawed. We saw Jimmy Johnson in the forty eighteen tank sort of testing through the summer months, and we're going, well, that forty eighteen is testing, and you know what? We were right because they won out won a seventh championship. They won't be able to do that this year, John. I like that a lot. I do, and I don't. I mean, yeah, call me a fence rider. There's certain things about it that do make sense that you are rewarded for your regular season effort that Truex would have had the extra bonus points from winning the amount of races he did, leading the amount of laps that he led. If you look at the different – if they would have broken into segments throughout the year, Truex probably would have ran away with the thing. The one thing, though, for example, yesterday, or throughout the regular season of football, the Dallas Cowboys were the top team in the National Football Conference. The Dallas Cowboys lost to the Green Bay Packers. Truex blew an engine. Truex went away. Cowboys lost to Green Bay. They went away. You have to win and be consistent in the chase. I, I mean, or why call it yeah, or John. not the chase anymore? The playoffs. But if you if you lose in the playoffs, you're out. Yeah, John, this I one, it's like Cowboys. The Cowboys were through to the next round for their for their for their regular season. 
You know, they had a and they had home field advantage. And they had right. home field and advantage. Home field now, advantage. they lost with all of those. They lost with all those advantage fair, advantage, advantages fair and square. But they got, you know, they, they didn't have a chance to get eliminated in the first round because they did so well in the regular season. And their regular season meant something. They actually, Their regular season actually meant something. That's something that I think football does very, very well where every game means something. Baseball, I think, sort of got to a point where not every game means something. I think that's an issue with them because it used to be for baseball because you didn't have the playoffs. But now that you have the playoffs, you know, and more teams get in, there's, there's some games in July where if you lose, it really doesn't matter all that much. And I think racing was getting to a point where, you know, once you got past the first 10 and we figured out who basically were going to be part of the chase and, and the winners were, the next, the, the rest of the time they were trying something. A lot of times it worked and the drivers would win, but a lot of times it didn't. So I like the fact, again, and you talked about the football reference, your New England Patriots had home field advantage. They had a home game. They had a bye week. They earned the right to have that because they were very good through the regular season because their regular season meant something. If they started the playoffs on the road or in a neutral site, against the uh, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, you kind of sit there and go, what's really the point of playing in the regular season? Let's rest our guys, like we saw in NASCAR. So I think that's what, John, to me, I like a lot better. It's not a, really a bye week, but they're putting more emphasis on the regular season. I like that a lot. Though, I mean, I, 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 that's one of the things I said. I do, I do like the fact that you do get a little bit of a reward. But I believe once you're in, once you make the playoffs, you're in. That's it. I mean, the Patriots may have had home field. The thing is, NASCAR, there is no home field. But everybody's playing under the same rules. If the Patriots lost yesterday, they lost because they played bad yesterday. The Steelers would have beat them. They're going to Houston, and the Patriots, everybody be here crying in their beer today. No, we're happy campers because they prepped well, they played well. If you blow an engine... There is a that is I mean you've seen the engines anymore. It takes a freaking act of God to blow an engine. So sure. if you blow an engine, guess what? Thanks for playing. You had a great season. Your sponsors were happy most of the year, but sorry, you're not going into the final four. I really think there's got to be there still has to be a premium on those ten races where there is a real determination of where you finish and how you do it. Because if you're Martin what? Truex going into this past year's chase, you could almost coast as good as he was until they hit the round of eight. Because he would have racked up so many bonus points, he's sitting there guaranteed moving forward without thinking about it right now. But that's not necessarily true because there are guys earning bonus points throughout the chase as well, through the segments of the right. chase and all of that. So, so you know... The chase winners and, and the playoff the playoff players in the chase, they are racing their rear ends off to make sure that they, they get the bonus points and somebody else doesn't. And also, I think, John, you know, people will be – they'll be less inclined to points race or to team race, to team race. You know, a guy like Kyle Busch isn't going to let Matt Kenseth or, or, you know, Danny Hamlin go get those bonus points because he could use them. And I think that's going to create something else where I think there was a lot of that going on this season and even over the course of the last few years where it's like, okay, you know what, we gotta get make sure all three Joe Gibbs racing all four Joe Gibbs racing cars get through the next round. We gotta make sure all four Joe Gibbs racing cars get a win in the regular season. Now if I'm one of those guys when I say if I'm Denny Hamlin, I say I owe it to FedEx to make sure that I get enough bonus points people to save my rear end throughout the regular season. And I think that, you know, I know Truex won a whole bunch of races, but you're gonna see more and more of those teams that are that are great put more emphasis on winning and put more emphasis on not tanking the regular season. So maybe that'll take away some wins from those teams in the regular season. And, you know, even if Truex had a bad, I, I don't want, I don't think somebody should have a bad two race stretch. You know, you can compare it to football, baseball, all you want. It's not because there's 40 cars in a track every week and an eighth place finish or a 12th place finish shouldn't cost you a championship just because, you know, you blew up one week, you know, just because you had one bad week. This is a, this is motorsports. And sometimes that happens. If you've had a great year for 35 races, one race shouldn't cost you a championship. I'm sorry, that's not the way I feel. Now, Homestead, uh, you know, it sh- you should at least get the chance at running in Homestead. Now, if you blow up at Homestead, there's not much you can do. But I think the 78, we feel like at least should have had a chance, more of a chance to, you know, compete at Homestead and try and win in Homestead and try and get 
be a part of that championship four, yeah, they may have still been eliminated. But at least their regular season should have mattered enough for them to get through it. Because, you know, one bone engine I don't think should, should eliminate them just because they had a bad couple of weeks. Lee, and I like your point You know, earlier. the funny part is With, the person who would have benefited ahead. most from this scenario this year was Kevin Harvick. Because yeah, he would have carried those 15 extra bonus points for winning the regular season mm-hmm. and the amount of laps he led as well. Harvick would have been racing at home, would have been racing at Homestead instead of being in fifth place. Right, but I think a lot yeah. of the teams would have would have would have tried to do different things throughout the regular season to combat that. Now, you know, knowing the format's different, but you're right. Listen, and, and Lee, I liked one of your points earlier, and I'm going to emphasize this to a to a big degree here because I like I loved it that much. I think this makes Pocono in June so much more relevant than it did last year. Um, I think Pocono in June, and I always said, you know, a lot of people are going, what's going on with these races? And I always said, well, we don't really know what teams are doing. Are teams trying something? Are teams going out? You know, and who knows what racetracks, even if it was Kansas or Michigan or something like that, where mile-and-a-half racetracks, Kansas is a chase race, for example, and you know what, Jimmy Johnson, those guys might have been like, hey, we're going to make the chase because we have 16 cars on the chase. We're going to make it. So let's try something at Kansas that we're going to bring back here in the fall. Now that that race at Kansas and those races at Pocono and, and Dover in the middle of the year, they mean something. They sit there and they go, okay, sure, you might have won already one race, but you're going to get those extra bonus points that you're going to be able to use in the chase. That's huge for these guys. Um, I like that a lot. I think that is a, a very underrated point here because of the fact that, you know, I think some of these races in the middle of the year, I have a hard time selling because I just think people have been kind of going, well, it doesn't mean anything towards a championship run. It really didn't. Uh, now, it, it still doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot, but I think it means a lot more now than it did a year ago. I think that's a very, very interesting point. Um, and again, John, you know, and, and Lee, I think – these cautions have been underrated here, even by me, even by, I think, all three of us. These cautions have been a little underrated because these cautions are going to be big. They're going to be gigantic. We're going to see somebody, like you said, John, going out there and completely dominating the first part of this race, and a caution comes out, and it's going to bunch them back up. But here's the, here's the catch, and here's where I can swallow it. That person and that team will get rewarded for running that first part of the race very well by having that one point and those 10 points for the, for the regular season and that one point towards the championship. That's why I can swallow these, these, uh, these cautions because I think these cautions were coming no matter what. I think they made that clear that these TV companies and, 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 and NASCAR on these tracks wanted these natural breaks. They were coming no matter what. And what we heard was they're coming no matter what and it's like they're lumping. But at least they get a reward for coming to the racetrack and coming to the first part of the race and saying you ran that really flat first part of the race really, really good, we'll give you some points. That's where I can swallow it, John. But I think it's a very underrated part because it's going to change the races completely. I'm, I can live with the – I can swallow the points because of the way they're – like you said, the time is, was coming where they were going to break up the races. They were pretty much stuck with it. It's one of those things, again – NASCAR doesn't own the show anymore. The TV contracts and uh, Monster, whoever the title sponsor is, is going to run the show. And the one thing that was good about it, and you saw the press conference where they had Kozlowski, they had Denny Hamlin, they had Dale Jr. speaking on behalf of drivers. They had Steve Newmark and they had Brett Frude speaking on behalf of car owners. They had Joey Chitwood and uh, Marcus Smith speaking on behalf of the track owners. So you had, it wasn't some NASCAR idiot in a box down there going, okay, let's try what this is going to be. They all got together at Vegas during the banquet, and there was a plan put into place. And I think it was good that everybody was involved. It wasn't just some guy in NASCAR the one thing that was sad to me out of it all, there's no sign of Mike Helton again. And I really still believe to this day, Mike Helton should be the face of NASCAR because 
people understand Mike Helton. People buy if Mike Helton comes up to you and says, "Hey, I'd like to sell you some ice." I know you live in Alaska, but you never know when you're going to need some ice. You're going to buy ice from Mike Helton because he's that kind of guy. The people who are out there selling the product for NASCAR right now, Steve O'Donnell, he's starting to get a little more credibility, but most everybody else when it comes to the NASCAR hierarchy, you're going, okay, what's this clown trying to sell me? I'm just going to sit here and listen to it. I guess I'll have to stomach it because it's what I want to watch. But, I mean, if Mike Helton's out there, it gives it the face of credibility. I liked what Denny said because Denny said it's going to force us to race every lap. That's something mm-hmm. I mean, we've all griped and complained about the fall of the leader through Talladega. The one thing that, that bothers me, though, I still say, but then again, I hate restrictor plates as it is, but I think we're going to have smash up big piles of smash-up derbies at restrictor plate races. It's going to cause some uh, fake drama in some certain spots, and some certain spots really need the fake drama because the package sucks so bad. So if they can get the rule package together to go with this kind of racing, it's great. But the thing is, if I wanted to watch 50-lap segments, I'll go to my dirt track and spend 75 bucks less on a ticket. Yeah, and that's what it's interesting, John, because that's what you're going to be competing against now if you're NASCAR. But, you know, they hope that what, and I've said that, and this I said this a couple of weeks ago. What NASCAR needs to do, and what they needed to do, was keep fans watching from lap 50 to lap 150, because I think most fans went, you know what, nothing's going to happen. Click. Now they've done that, especially in the Daytona 500. And the Daytona 500 is a very important race because it's it's a race that is our Super Bowl. Where if you look at the ratings for the Daytona 500, they're quadruple what every other race gets. So it's a very important race because most fans, most race fans or casual fans in NASCAR will go, let's try on the 500. And if they see a boring product, they're going to go, you know what, I'm not going back next week. But if they see an interesting product, which I think they're going to see, and, and you're probably right, John, I think the rule package needs to be worked on for restrictor plates. And I don't think that's going to change at all. But I think you're going to see a, a much more of these drivers, Kevin Harvick and, and the stars of these races, and I only point at Kevin Harvick because I think he's a guy who uh, naturally and, and consistently goes to the rear of the field uh, at these play tracks. He'll, he'll, it gives him a little bit of incentive to run up front. Will he go to the back? You might still say, you know what, I don't really care. It's Daytona. It's early enough in the year where I don't have to get the one bonus point. I don't worry, really worry about points right now. I'm still going to sit in the back and try and win it. But at least it will give him a little bit more emphasis to run hard in the 500. Uh, Lee, what is, what's your final thoughts on, the, on these whole thing here, Lee? Uh, is there anything we're missing here? What are your final thoughts? A couple, couple more, three things. One of them is, you know, you may not see this taken to full bore like Harvick you're saying. You might, he may absolutely do that in Daytona. But if he gets bit by it in the playoffs where he goes, man, I really wish I had a couple of those extra bonus points in the playoffs, he may look at it and go into 2018 and say, okay, well, I'm not going to approach it that way now. I'm going to go to the front. So it may take a couple of years for these guys to figure out what exactly they're going to need to do come the regular season and, and earn points. I think another thing, John, listen, it's Talladega and Daytona. I know you don't like plate racing, but these guys are going to wreck. There's going to be huge wrecks. There's huge wrecks every year. There's always guys that finish 10th that shouldn't be finishing 10th. You know, one year Michael McDowell finished 10th in Phil Parsons' car in the Daytona 500. It just happens. It's just the way Daytona and Talladega are. And if if racing hard causes a big wreck at Daytona and Talladega, then I'm all for it because I, I just can't stand them sending single-file racing. I've sat through Daytona 10,000 times watching these guys just run around single-file. And if I want to do that, I'll go watch them on Interstate 95. I don't need to go pay $200 for Daytona International Speedway to see them do 200 miles an hour in a, in a straight line so they don't wreck. I, I want to see them get up on the wheel. And I think a lot of people think – they're blaming this package. I think a lot of the problem at the plate tracks is these guys know, hey, I'm just going to get bunched up and we're just going to be too wide before the final run. They need to get that out of their brains and know, hey, it matters now. Let's be too wide the whole race. And finally, I think the last point that we're missing on this is qualifying is going to really matter now because you're going to want to be up front. You're going to want to be there. You're not going to be like Kevin Harvick where you're going to qualify 19th and try and work your way to the front throughout the 400 miles. Now you're going to want to be up there for lap for two, mile 100, mile 200. Qualifying is going to be an ever so important now. 
And I think a lot of people have missed that about this format, and I think it's going to be something that they're going to look at. Well, when it comes to the qualifying thing, Lee, that you're talking about, I think it's going to cost more. They keep saying they want to lighten the load on the teams. More engineering than you put into those two laps whenever they're running, going each time through qualifying. They're going to put more and more engineering in on those qualifying setups instead of racing what you brought. I really believe that almost every race should be whatever you whatever you qualify on should be the same setup you start the race on. And it's going to be better racing. I really think it's going to be that way because you have I mean heck they run 4 hours of practice for a 3 hour race a lot of times. It just is getting too crazy of all the different technolo- I mean technological things they can do to these cars instead of just running them putting it in the driver's hands, putting the crew chief's hand on race day and saying, here we go, this is what we got, this is how we're going to move. I love seeing, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I love it when Harvick qualifies mid-pack. I mean, he doesn't try to because a lot of times since he's come to Stuart Haas, he's qualified up front. He always sucked qualifying at Childers, but since he's got the SHR, he's been a top 10 qualifier most of the time. Whenever he does qualify 20th, and you hear them in the garage area saying Harvick's one we got to watch for, that makes for interesting moves because he's climbing through the field during the race. That's what we want to see. We want to see comers and goers. We don't want to see the top ten stay top ten all day. I'd rather see it punched up. I almost want to see them draw a pill, and that's where you're going to start during the race. It's interesting. 9789 on Lee. want to thank you for your call. You're always a great caller. I'll leave it to go. But um, listen. I think Lee brought up a good point about qualifying, but I think it's got its its, its pluses and minuses, and I'll see it, and I'll explain it myself here in a second. And this is something we haven't seen in five years because let's be real here. I think it was Lee Spencer today on SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. She made a great point, and I applauded it when she said that competition cautions. There, we knew what they were about. Was it really necessary for a competition caution to be out there? And John, John, you know me. I'm I've called my competition cautions forever on our show. Um, saying that they're really completely unnecessary because I think they are. I think they were. Um, and she's like, you know, competition caution is necessary. And when we saw these drivers, and I, I'll get to my point in qualifying here, when we saw these drivers qualify towards the rear of the field, I always felt that competition caution was an advantage to them because it bunched it back up. For example, if, you know, for the first part of the race, if you qualify 23rd and you work, spend the first part of the race working your way up to 15th, that leader's getting further and further away from you because he's in clean air and he's not passing you as many cars as you have passed. Um, so I think that was a, a – and then all of a sudden a caution comes out and you get that bunch back up and closer to the leader. That's where these guys who qualify in the rear will have an advantage because they'll sit there and these, these leaders who are, who are going to be in clean air, they're going to get back, a bunch back up and they're not going to be able to fall lap down if their car is handling okay. Uh it is going to be. Interesting. I think we're going to see a lot more cars in the lead lap, John. Too, uh, especially cars from about 30th to 25th that get lapped pretty easily. Um, I don't think we're going to see those cars lapped down anymore. So I think you know those those really t- cars that get lapped really easily. I hate to point it out, but last year, for example, the 32 car was about 10 laps down every race. I think those cars will still stay 10 laps down because uh, I don't think it takes them 40, 50 laps to get to get lapped. But those cars 25th and up. I'll give them a little bit of shock too, so that's something to keep in mind as well. But um, it is interesting that qualifying is going to be important because you want to get that one point in those ten points to finish in the t- to run in the top ten in that first segment. But you're also going to be bunched up to the field there. Where and again, that's something that anyway, when we had competition cautions, um, you know, if you qualify in the rear, you're caught up to the field anyway. So that's something that we're not really good. You're not going to really see a difference there, but something to keep in mind. Nine one seven eight eight. Nine eight two eight zero to join a conversation here on Talking Circles. We're talking about format changes. Another interesting little bit of a tidbit here, John, was the qualifying races for the Daytona 500. Uh, it used to be called the Twin 125s back in the day. Now they're called the Gatorade, the the Can Am Duels. I, I said Gatorade, and I apologize. The Can Am Duels 150 at Daytona will now have points attached to it. Not you won't get your championship bonus point for winning that race. You won't get the point to carry over into the, the championship rounds, into the playoffs, but you will get regular season points if you finish in the top ten, which is interesting 
puts a little bit more emphasis on these qualifying races. And another, that's another part of, this, of the duels, John, where I felt like these duels have, have been really lackluster, especially with the chartering system, because you're not going to see too many cars coming down. But it puts a little bit more emphasis on it, especially for a driver like Landon Castle or David Reagan or somebody like that, where if they're ninth, there's really no incentive for them to go for eighth because they're in the Daytona 500. Qualifying doesn't really matter for the Daytona 500 because you have 500 miles, it's a drafting. Now it might make you get that eighth-place spot, make, make you get that seventh-place spot. At least it makes it a little bit more interesting for them if they do that. What are your thoughts? Do you like the fact that points are, are tied to these uh, – Gatorade, or excuse me, Can-Am duels at Daytona? Uh, again, it's one of those ones where it can help add to the drama, but at the end of the day, you want the car you're running the duels in on Sunday. They're not going to stick their nose in somewhere that's going to get them in trouble over a point because you're going to a whole different car and starting tail end Charlie if you end up wrecking on the last lap of the duel trying to go from 10th to 8th. I think there are certain spots, like if you're going for the lead, that's one thing. But I think if you're mid-pack, you're going to pretty much stay where you're at. And a lot of times, whenever you get mid-pack, especially if you're too wide, especially if it's one of those hot days where the middle lane isn't going anywhere, you're just going to be sitting there riding because you're not going to take the chance of going in the middle because if you're going for trying to go from 10th to 8th, you could end up going from 10th to 22nd because the sucker hole isn't moving. So it's one of those ones for the duels. It's going to depend on how the track is, what the temperature is, and different things when it comes to it. Uh, one of the things that um, whenever you're, we were talking about competition cautions a second ago, that – I'm in favor of them only when there is a possible safety issue in the t- if the track isn't rubbering up. And it's something oh, they yeah. shouldn't announce at the driver's meeting to say, okay, at lap 25, we're going to throw a competition caution. They should go at the driver's meeting, okay, here, we're going to race. And NASCAR should be monitoring because they can tell if the track is rubbering up or not. And if they think it needs, they need to bring them in because it isn't rubber, taking rubber and it is a safety hazard, that's when NASCAR throws the competition caution at their will, not telling them ahead of time, okay, we're going to run 20 laps, then we're going to check everything. They should be able to tell by looking at the track, seeing how it rubbers, seeing if it gets dark, seeing if there's a bunch of dust flying around instead of the, getting soaked into the track. They should be able to do that instead of announcing a competition caution. But when it comes to the safety of the drivers, of whether the track is taking rubber, whether it's wearing out tires or whatever, that's something NASCAR should have in their back pocket as a safety device, but not something that should be put into play every time it rains before they go green. Yeah, and there's my problem with it was that, you know, if we came to a racetrack, let's say Kansas, if we came to Kansas on a Friday, we hadn't been there in months. If there was no tire issue for Kansas Speedway on Friday where the tires weren't wearing much, what's the point of throwing a competition caution? I just don't And now we spent the whole weekend rubbing up the racetrack and we're going to throw a competition caution. It just made no sense to me. I mean, I went to Pocono one time and they washed the racetrack and they threw a competition caution, which I went berserk on. But they're, they're going to be pretty much irrelevant now, which is good. You know, but at least there's a it, – it's almost like awarding teams for running – well, prior to the competition caution now uh, with these points. 917-889-8280 to join the conversation on Talking Circles. It's funny you bring up, John, safety, because I've talked to our friend Lee in Virginia about this several times, and he's, he likes this, and this is something that I don't like at all. It's a little bit of a of, – it's, it's been completely, completely um, overdone underdone, excuse me, because of the fact that we have so many other changes that we're looking at. But the fact that NASCAR will not allow teams to replace body panels during a race, and teams will have additional limitations on crash repairs that will likely mean most drivers who have to go to the garage won't return for the remainder of the race. Now, I've heard about this for months. I heard about this before the even regular season ended last year, before the season ended last year, 
that there was talk about them doing this. Here's my biggest complaint about this, John, and here's my biggest fear about this. If, my, if I'm driving, I'm in a race, and my team's in a race, and I hit the outside, and I, I get torn up by a race, I, 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 my back end hits the wall, and there's debris dragging from my race car, and I could fix that by putting just a simple back end on the race car, tearing all the back end and putting a new one on. That's probably pretty safe. That's pretty smart to do that. NASCAR won't let you do that anymore. It's to save the team's money. But now if I tear up my back end, I'm going to sit there and go, I'm not going to the garage area. I'm going to pit road. I'm going to try and fix it. Well, if you try and fix it, you don't do a very good job, but you're trying to stay on a racetrack to collect points, you're going to be spewing a brie all over the racetrack. And if somebody cuts a tire down because you went out on the racetrack to collect points and you put something down and somebody hits the tire and hits the outside, blows the tire and hits the outside wall because they ran over your debris, how's that good for the sport? I think that is completely ridiculous and something that, and I know the owners asked for it, but there comes a point where if you're an asker, you say, okay, listen, here's what the repercussions are going to be. I truly believe, John, that little rule will be gone by the time we get to Daytona in July because I think we're going to see somebody or some team go out there and continue to run with crash damage on their car and spew debris all over the racetrack and take out a leader or a second-place car and ruin somebody's day because of a simple we couldn't have teams go put the body parts on it. I, I just – I don't like it, John. I think it's, I think it's a, a you're you're flirt, you're flirting with disaster, as they say, with, with that rule. What are your thoughts on that? I think I've always hated it. I've hated the fact that they can go out and put a front nose clip on it. I hate the fact that if they want to put cut off the rear end and put another one on, they do it. They want to change quarter, put a new quarter panel on. I mean, hell, you've seen cars go to Talladega, and they have more bare bond on them and more replacement parts than they have original parts, and they're running in the top five. There's no penalty for wrecking. If you hit the wall, guess what? You should be penalized. You should have to drive whatever piece of crap you have left through the remainder of the race or park it in the garage. I don't want to see a new front clip put on because – they hit the grass and it wound up taking part of their um, front end off of it. I, if they wreck, I want them out. I mean, that's part of the that's part of the thing. If you wreck, there's a penalty for it. You shouldn't be able to wreck, hit the wall four or five different running for the win. I mean, the goal is to race, not bounce off the wall. And if you get caught up in something, that's part of the penalty of getting caught up in something. You shouldn't be there. If you're running for the if you're running up front. You should be the best car on the track, not the best re-put together car on the track. I understand that, but that's My how I've always thought is, of it. And I understand that completely. That's a very fair point. But my question, I guess, is going to be: How is NASCAR going to police that? Are you going to tell a team that barely bounces off the right side of the car, you got to go to the garage and you're staying there for the day? I don't, you know, trying to avoid a wreck or something like that. I'm sitting there going, "Well, they're okay. They're not putting a whole thing on the car." But again, so. Are you going to leave it up to the teams where the teams go, you know what, we need to go to the garage. I'm going to stay on pit road as long as I can because I don't want to go to the garage. So I'm going to fix what I can with the with tape and all that kind of stuff. And we've seen it before where parts fall off race cars. And I just think you're going to you're flirting with disaster. I really do. I, there's no doubt. You know, when Richard Petty came out in 92, we all remember that iconic photo of him driving around with, with no front hood on that car, if that was 2017, he would come out with a, with a completely new hood, bare bond hood, but he had a completely new hood on the car because aerodynamically it was faster. Um, and I understand that, that if you want to be in a wreck, uh, you know, you, you want them to, to feel the impact of it and stuff like that. But I think it was these teams saying, we shouldn't have to bring that to the racetrack. We shouldn't have to bring in those. We shouldn't have to bring a rear end. It costs us money to do that. And I get that. But I think NASCAR is going to be in a major, major issue. One of these races, I don't know what race it's going to be, Bristol or something like that, where there's a lot of carnage. These teams are going to try and go out and get every point they possibly can, especially these teams in the back of the field who want to stay in the top 30 and can win a plate plate race. They're going to try and get as many points as they possibly can, and they're going to do the, the hackest repair job you could possibly find on pit road and cause debris on a racetrack and ruin somebody's day. And that will cause a major, major storm 
you know what storm at that racetrack. And I think that is what NASCAR is flirting with disaster with there. Um, you know, and you don't like people hitting the wall. If you don't like people hitting the wall and you think it's unsafe to drivers hit the wall, I think you're going to see likelihood that, that, that something like that's going to happen. So, you know, I understand your point, John, and it's a very valid point. And I understand where the owners are going from because that's a very valid point as well. But we've saved them costs in other areas. I, I don't like this at all. I think this is going to be a major, major issue. You heard it here first. I I like the days where, I mean, if there's a problem with the car, and that's where NASCAR has the ability to throw the black flag. I don't want the re-repairing the car to where it's aerodynamically better. I want them, if, they're, if they hit the wall, I want it to penalize them. And it shows, I mean, the ability of the driver. If they hit the wall and they go faster like they do sometimes, I mean, you, you'll never be able to police it at Darlington because the whole right side of the car is always crunched no matter what. But when you get the guy who ends up rear-ending somebody on a restart and caves in their hood and they go in, they change, they put a new hood on it, they put bare bond on it and everything else, they go back out and they're passing everybody like it's nobody's, I mean, like they're uh, the best thing on on the planet. There's no penalty for that. If, they, if you wreck, you lose. It's sort of like, I mean, the chase, I mean, as much, or the playoffs now, as much as Truex dominated throughout the year. He had the one bad race where he blew up. He blew up at the wrong time. If the Patriots would have, if Tom Brady would have blew out his knee yesterday and the Steelers won, would the Patriots be able to go to Houston in two weeks? Because the Patriots had the best regular season, but Brady blew out his knee. It's the same thing, except that power plant makes the cargo. I understand that. And here's where I'm trying to get with this caution thing is it would be like if, for example, you know, it's hard to explain because these parts fall off these, can fall off these cars when you get in an accident. And I think the littlest piece of debris, you know, if you're right. They're going to have to use the black flag. And what scared me is I think the black flag has been extremely underused in the last three or four years. I mean, there's been times where Lee and I have discussed it off air going, is the black flag, does the black flag even exist anymore? Because there's been times where, where debris has been dragging all over the racetrack and these cars don't get black flagged for it. They're going to have to to use the black flag and use it quick, you know, because it takes one little tiny part falling off a race car that could ruin somebody's day and ruin somebody's championship hopes. You know, if, if, I'm eighth in the standings, and I go, man, I wreck at Talladega, and I go, man, I need to get my, I need to get points because who knows what my points are going to be at the end of the day. I got, but I got my whole back end off the race car. I'm a, listen, and I'm screaming on radio. I don't care what my car looks like. I'm not going in that garage. I'm not going in the garage because if I go in the garage, I'm not coming back out. So I'm going to just continue to go and continue to pit and continue to to race as much as I can. But I'm going to be just spewing debris all over the racetrack, and I cause a big wreck. And take everybody out and win their champion for what? It, it could be and something that could be solved completely. I, I just don't like it at all. I'm sorry, I just don't. Um, and that's the way I feel about it. And I hope that I'm wrong on it. I hope that that doesn't happen. I hope I look back at this in a year and I go, boy, I was a real idiot when I said that. I, that I thought that was going to happen. But I, you know, I've watched enough races where I've seen parts fall off race cars on a racetrack because teams have done a hack job of, of repair and it caused somebody's day to ruin somebody's day. So I hope it doesn't happen. A couple of, well, one of the things with some of these smaller teams, Clayton, with some of these smaller teams, they screw it up when they're putting the car through inspection. There's times they don't have the oil filled. I mean, the oil line tightened up. They go out there, they drop the green. Next thing you know, they're smoking, they're dropping oil on the track and they haven't even gotten into anything. So, I mean, that's the human element into the sport. I mean, you go, you're counting on everybody. You see that checklist on the car that's five pages long on the front, on the back quarter panels, all the different things that they need to tighten up before they go onto the track for the green flag. There's a human element where somebody may forget to tighten the oil line tight enough, and they're dropping oil at the green flag. So it's just as easy without hitting a wall. 
to have the same if, physical, I mean, same problem. If we had a way to prevent that, I think teams would do that because I think they would look at it and they would go, well, I don't want that to happen. I don't want to ruin somebody's day. But obviously we don't know that's going to happen. But if you tear up a race car, most likely those parts will fall off. And I just think not letting teams come out back out of the garage is a scary, dangerous situation that they're getting themselves into. I don't mind if NASCAR comes out and says, listen, you can't bring those pieces. If we see them, you're going to get black flagged, those pieces on the race car. But we'll let you come back out of the garage. I don't mind that. But I just think if you let them go into the garage and you don't, don't let, if you don't let those cars come back out of the garage, it's going to be a very, very, very scary situation you're going to get yourself into. So, listen, I, I hope I'm wrong. Again, I've said that before. I hope I'm wrong, but um, we'll see. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two. I'm one of them people that I don't want to see somebody running around twenty laps down. I mean. You're well, that far down. Event, you're, you have no chance of competing for the next spot. You're just running mm-hmm. around hoping somebody else wrecks so you can move up one spot in the points. I mean, if you're that messed up, I'd rather you be in the garage thinking about what happened and how to get better for the next race. I totally agree. But the te- those points are going to matter anyway. That's my point. Those points, teams are going to try and do that anyway. And instead of going into the garage and, and fixing and having clean parts that won't fall off race cars, we're going to have teams staying on pit road and fixing them little by little by little and ruining somebody's day. I just, I don't like it. I'm sorry. I, I just, I think, I'm telling you, in a year here, in 2018, we're doing this show. Hopefully we're still doing this show. Hopefully you're still my co-host. I think in a year we're going to look back and say, boy, that was a rule that was a bad idea because it, it ruined somebody's day, it ruined somebody's race. Um, I really believe that. I really think that's an, a, a situation. Um, John, final words here on, on these format changes. There was a lot to discuss today. Um, you know, I don't want to dive into too many big details because of the fact that everybody's going to be talking about this for, for weeks and weeks as we get ready to, for Speed Weeks 2017. Um, I think it's going to be interesting, very interesting. Again, I'm not a fan of cautions. I, if they did this, John, like I said earlier, if they did this during green flag racing, I would be, oh, I would be so happy because I think that would really, especially on the play checks, I think it would be that would really help the racing. But we know why they throw the cautions in there because of the TVs. And I'm not in love with that. It bothers me to my core as a race fan that they've thrown those in there. But you can swallow them a little bit better because of the fact that at least these teams will get credit for running well in that first and second segment. So get a little bit of credit, not a whole lot, but a little bit. And if those, if the drivers came up and said that and came up with that, uh, kudos to them because they really, really created a great format. Your final words here on these format changes here, John. I think it's a wait-and-see issue, sort of like we did with the caution clock in the truck series and the heat races in the Xfinity series last year. The one thing I'm looking forward to more than anything, and I hope to God he tries, is the first time Daryl tries to explain the point system to somebody who knows nothing about NASCAR. I really liked it whenever it was 40-1. to yeah. I knew if you finished last, you got one point. If you won, you got 40, and then there were the bonus points threw in. I'm waiting to see how Daryl Waltrip tries to explain this while he's boogity, 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 and all the other dumb stuff that he does. Daryl can't count 21 unless he's naked. He's got no chance at explaining this thing. It, listen, it is confusing, and I will say that. It's confusing to the average, to the, to the new fan of NASCAR. If you're trying to explain it to a new fan, it's a little confusing. I think there's a lot of smart people. I listened to the radio tonight on the way home from, from uh, where I was. There was a lot of smart people who were kind of sitting there going, well, answer me this, answer me that, because we we couldn't comprehend it all because there was just so much, and it's very complicated. We did it tonight. We were still going, oh, wow. And I think we might have missed parts. We might have missed parts we don't even know about because it's so complicated. And I think that is definitely a point where uh, that needs to be looked at because NASCAR for years – a couple of years ago when they went to this 1-40 through 40 format, um, wanted to make it a little bit more simplified for fans, and now they've made it more confusing. John Harlow from SpeedwayMedia.com. Great job tonight. Got a link, Lee in Virginia. For more of our shows, go to SpeedwayMedia.com. Click on the link. I'm Clayton Caldwell. We'll see you next time on Talking Circus.